Well, turn with me once again, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 32. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can, again, as I said, grab a Bible on the back table or follow along in the insert found in your bulletin. For those of you who weren't here last week, last week we began a mini-series of sorts uh, on the Songs of David. I wanted us to create a, a summer playlist of sorts as we think about some of the words that David has given us to express our own hearts, to express our own voices. And so last week we talked about a song of revelation, a joyous song where God reveals himself through all that he has made and through his word that he has given. And today, as you can see in your bulletin, the title is Songs of David, Forgiveness. You know, I brought up the idea of summer playlists last week, and the very definition of a summer playlist that you would put together, at least as I think about it, is you put together a playlist, a grouping of songs that's, that's upbeat, right? Songs that celebrate the freedoms of summer. School's out. The weather is great. We in Seattle, we're finally outside after months of being holed up in our homes. Vacations are in full swing. That's what a summer playlist is all about. Well, today as we come to Psalm 32, we come to its own type of proclamation of freedom. It's a declaration, Psalm 32 is. It's a declaration of beauty from ashes. It's a song of rejoicing on the other end, on the other side of self-inflicted pain. It's the Gospel. Psalm 32 is the Gospel. And so listen as I read it. Uh, in its entirety. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was, was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach Him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. That is just too good to be true. That's just too good to be true. Have you ever said that phrase? I know that many of you, if not all of you, at some point in your lives have said that phrase. It's too good to be true. That phone call that you get that promises you a no-strings-attached four-day, three-night vacation in Honolulu. It's too good to be true. Or that junk mail that comes in your mailbox and it says right above your name there through the, uh, the window, pay to the order of sneaky. As if it was a check, you open it up. Too good to be true. We live in a world that at most times, if it seems too good to be true, then it is too good to be true. But we who gather in this room, we also recognize this morning that we live in a world of promise. We live in a world of grace. We live in a world with God. And that changes everything. But even still, even with that context, we, we believers in Jesus, we followers of Christ, we still, at times, we search for the fine print in grace. It's just got to be there somewhere. We insist that we've, we've got to add something to make God love us. We, we maybe have recognized our failings and we want to make up for them in some small way. Friends, Psalm 32 gives us this full picture of our human experience. The weight of our sin, the wonder of forgiveness and grace, and our response to it all. Psalm 32 is a call to you this morning to just let the grace of God wash over you anew. That's a good song to add to your summer playlist. The experience conveyed here in Psalm 32 was the experience of a man who is deeply affected by his own sin. A man who is intent on sharing the remedy that he has found, that he has experienced for that sin. A man whom the Scriptures say, as we've already spoken about, He's a man after God's own heart. A man who loved God. A man who sought to follow God. And yet a man who gave in to the most grievous temptation of adultery and murder. We've already read Psalm 51, or at least part of it. We've already looked at 2 Samuel chapter 12, but I want us to turn real briefly back to Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, flip to Psalm 51 real quick with me. I just want to look at it again. We've confessed some of it. 
just want to read a few verses. Verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, David says. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Jumping down to verse 7, purge me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy. Let me hear gladness. And then finally, verse 13. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. How does that relate to Psalm 32, you ask? Psalm 32 is David's voice, it's David's experience. Psalm 51 is David's voice, it's out of David's experience. But we think, we believe that Psalm 51 came before Psalm 32. Don't let the numbers make you think chronologically about those. See, Psalm 51 is David's heartbroken confession before the Lord. And what is speculated is that Psalm 32 is at least in part some of the fulfillment of David's promise to teach transgressors his ways. God, I feel my sin, he says in Psalm 51. If you can take this away from me, if you can restore to me something that I've lost, I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm going to teach others how to do it. I'm going to tell them this is the way. And he does exactly that in Psalm 32. There are just two truths that I want us to meditate on from Psalm 32. And we'll spend most of our time on the first one. So don't freak out. It's going to be a long point. But point number one, truth number one is this. Forgiveness from your failings is freedom. Forgiveness from your failings is freedom. I know it's a lot of F's, but they just just flowed. And I know you remember it if it's a lot of F's. Forgiveness from feelings, from failings is freedom. There's no doubt as we come to Psalm 32 that David is hurting. At least the backstory. David's hurting. His wounds are self-inflicted wounds. And what he's experiencing is guilt. And it's guilt that's affecting him, not just psychologically, not just spiritually, but even physically. There's a commercial that came out several years ago. Some of you might remember seeing it. It was for some Weight Watchers uh, meal program or meals that they were selling. And it showed these wonderful desserts followed by these four powerful, powerful words. Total indulgence, zero guilt. Total indulgence, zero guilt. Oh, that sounds good. 
Love that cheesecake. You know, in a sense, that mantra has become the cry of our culture. We think that we can simply indulge in every desire without having the slightest bit of guilt. And we try and we fail. We fail because God has written on the hearts of men His law. So we feel this guilt and, and so we run to other things. We try to numb ourselves. We try to distract ourselves to get away from the weight. And that's exactly what David is describing He says, there's this heavy hand. Your heavy hand is upon me. Verse 4. I don't know about you, but I remember heavy hands. My mom preferred the inner thigh. Just slip it into the back seat, put it on the inner thigh. Or there in the pew, just put her hand on my inner thigh. If the disturbance got a little bit more, got a little heavier, started to squeeze, the heavy hand of discipline, the heavy hand of one who knows what is right. David felt that from the Lord. He felt this heavy hand upon him, this guilt, this burden, this bearing down. And what David discovered as he was burdened by this is he didn't have to live with that forever. He didn't have to live with that guilt that God had provided a remedy for guilt. And so Psalm 32 is David saying, I'm cured. And you can be blessed. You can be happy. You can be filled with joy. You can be relieved. How do you spell relief? C-O-N. F-E-S-S-I-O-N. Confession. That's what David says. Confession. In these first two verses of Psalm 32, he's crying out that there is a way of blessing. There is a way of happiness. And David knows this because he's that man who has experienced this. In just these first two verses... We find a depth of forgiveness. I know you've heard about forgiveness. But David shows us a depth of forgiveness that really is unmatched. And I want to unpack it a little bit this morning as we think about Psalm 32. It's easy for us to read through these things, but what's totally, what's not totally clear in English is that in these first two verses, David uses three different words for sin. And three different words to describe how God deals with our sin. And that's not a mistake. He's not just throwing synonyms around for variety. David is painting this picture, this masterpiece of, of sin and forgiveness. Oh, there you go, Nate, talking about sin. You Presbyterians, you always talk about sin. I like that amen. But often we don't get amens. We get criticized for talking so much about sin. But friends, and I know most of you, many of you know this, we cannot fully appreciate the depth of God's grace 
until we understand ourselves. And still we understand our own hearts and what we have been saved from. The early church father, Augustine, said that this psalm was one of his favorites. He had it engraved on his wall beside his bed because he said that the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. And Psalm 32 reminded him of that. And so in these first two verses, you'll notice there are three different words that are used to describe the actions that have resulted in guilt. Transgression, sin, and iniquity. We put these three words together and they form this comprehensive picture. Just like last week, David did the same type of thing with God's law, showing us kind of the many sides of the diamond and the brilliance of God's law. He's showing us maybe not the brilliance of sin, but the complexity and the gravity of sin. And so he says, sin is transgression, or whatever action brings about guilt is transgression, which highlights the rebellion against God. We have rebelled against His holy law. And then he uses the second word, sin. I'm not going to quote the Hebrew word. And it gives this idea of falling short. Not only have we rebelled against God's law, but we have fallen short. His standard is up here, and we've woefully shot under it. And then finally, he uses the word iniquity. It gives the idea that we are twisted and we are corrupt as a result. So three words for sin. It's a serious problem. It's a serious condition. We're rebellious people who fall short and as a result are twisted and corrupted. The only thing that can match the complexity and the depth of sin in our lives is the beauty and the brilliance of God's grace. So I actually want to spend more time on the other words that David uses, the words for God's grace. Our sin may be comprehensive, but God's grace is so much greater. And so the first word he uses is translated in your Bibles, forgiven. Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. It's a common word. It's used over 600 times in the Old Testament. And it means to lift, to carry, to take away. Here, that gives the idea of sin being a weight, a burden that buckles our knees and breaks our backs. Those of you who grew up in the church or do a lot of reading, think immediately of John Bunyan and his book Pilgrim's Progress and the picture of Christian traveling on that journey with a, with a load on his back weighed down. We've already spoken. That's how David feels with, with God's heavy hand upon him. He feels the weight of guilt and the burden of what's there. Yet blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, is lightened, whose load is taken. In the Old Testament, the, the God's people, the Israelites, had a beautiful way to picture this. To picture this load, this burden being taken away. 
Let me read for you a little bit from Leviticus chapter 16. Way back in the Old Testament as God instructs His people. God says, He, that is the high priest, the representative before God of God's people, He is to lay both hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and all the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. And he shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. And the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place. And then the man shall release it into the desert. It's the scapegoat. The one who bears the burdens of sin and takes them away. Lifts them off of us. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness. But there's another word. It's not just that our sins are taken away, but the end of verse 1 tells us that our sins are covered. End of verse 1. Your sin is covered. Again, this is a common word that's translated here and can also be translated with the words conceal or hide. It's the same Hebrew word that Moses, when he describes the flood, talks about the flood rising and covering the mountains. And here our sin is this this blemish that just keeps appearing. Think of that water spot in your house and you keep painting over it and it keeps appearing and you paint over it and it keeps appearing. Sin not dealt with has a way of coming out. It has a way of reappearing no matter how many coats of paint you put on it. And so we need some sort of a covering And ironically, as verse 5 states, we've got to first uncover ourselves. We've got to first abandon any attempt amongst ourselves at hiding. Forgiven, covered, and then finally we see in verse 2 that the man is blessed whose Iniquity the Lord does not count against him. See here David gives us this picture that you you have a rap sheet. You have a list of charges, multiple counts, multiple violations of God's law. And something happens in the courtroom of God where your charges are dropped. They're not counted against you. See, David is painting this picture with these words. And, he, and he's painting something that he can't quite see. It's a, it's a shadow to him. But to us, it's in full view. To us, it's in full color. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is all over Psalm 32. Burdened, blemished, and charged we are. 
And Jesus comes along and what happens? Jesus is the scapegoat. Jesus is the one who takes the burden of guilt and sin away from us. He's not a goat. He's the Lamb. The Lamb of God, Isaiah 53, 12 prophesied, He bore, He carried the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And Jesus calls out to all, not just when He was on earth, but here this morning, and He says, Come to Me, all you who are weary, all you who feel a heavy hand upon you, come to Me and I will give you rest. What a relief. What freedom. I was just talking to Tim last night about his hike with Baethan. He's telling me about at the end of the hike, taking off the pack and feeling those, those shoulders rise, the freedom of a burden unhinged and unloosed. Jesus is the scapegoat, but Jesus is not only the scapegoat, Jesus is the covering. An image and a song and a verse that we know well, Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Jesus is the scapegoat. Jesus is the covering. And finally, Jesus is the reason that our sins are not counted against us. The rap sheet hasn't been forgotten. It hasn't been swept under the carpet. It's been paid for. It's been punished. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Freedom from your... Forgiveness from your failings is freedom. And maybe some of you are here this morning, you didn't even know that was possible. You've been living your lives thinking, yeah, something, I feel this weight, I feel like I'm not living as I should. And David says, here it is. You can be free. You can be forgiven. No matter what you've done no matter what your failings are. And so what's the takeaway for us from Psalm 32? It's real simple. It's run to Jesus. It's run to Jesus. It's the silence of David that almost killed him. And so David reminds us to acknowledge our sin, to confess it to the Lord, to live a life of repentance. Remember, David was a believer. David was a follower of God when he confessed his sin. We don't just confess at the beginning of our journey, but we live lives of repentance. It's one of the reasons why every Lord's Day we humble ourselves before the Lord and we confess our unworthiness. And we confess that we need our sins carried away. We need to be covered. We need to not have the things that we have done count against us. And so when David says in verse 6, let everyone who is godly, he's not saying let everyone who is sinless, 
The godly are those who humble themselves. The godly are those who cry out and recognize their need for forgiveness, their need for Jesus. And these are the ones who in the rush of great waters are safe. These are the ones that have a place of hiding in the midst of trouble. And these are the ones that hear shouts of deliverance all around. All that beautiful, beautiful imagery that David speaks of here in Psalm 32. They, they, they get all that. We get all that because God is suddenly for us. The relationship has been restored. And the God who created us has now restored us to right fellowship with Him. Friends, gospel living is not a life that's clean and proper. Gospel living is a life that's broken, that's humble, that's real, that's needy. Gospel living is a life that's joyful. No matter what you've done, gospel living is a life that's joyful in the freedom of forgiveness. And really that brings us to the last point. And I guess you could say the second application. It's not just to run to Jesus either for the first time or for the thousandth time. But it's from that last verse, Psalm 32, where David says, Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So the second thing I want you to consider and walk away from today is not just that forgiveness from your failings is freedom, but also that the forgiven and free can't be silent. The forgiven and free can't be silent. In contrast to the woes of the wicked in verse 10, this call goes out to the righteous, those who have been clothed in righteousness, those who have a reason to rejoice. Just look at this journey that David has been on. From silence to now rejoicing and singing and declaring what God has done. David has experienced the joy of the Lord, the forgiveness of the Lord, and he wants everyone to know about it. Be glad in the Lord and sing and rejoice. And that's a call to us too. And I know you're here this morning and that's part of your declaration. You could be home sleeping in, watching TV at the beach, but you're here because you believe this. And you know your heart needs to hear it again. But what about when you go from this place? And I'm not talking, I am not talking about extroverted evangelism. Not everyone is gifted in that way. So I'm not putting that burden on you. I'm simply speaking about being glad in grace. Seeing the, the brilliance of the Gospel. And letting your life be changed as a result. Forgiveness is sweet. So let's live in it. We are people who've been redeemed by grace, who live by grace, who live in grace, who submit to grace, who hunger to learn more about grace, and who talk about grace. 
free to love, freed from fear, free to be filled with joy. Too good to be true? (sighs) Sounds like it. But it's not. It's not. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for David, his experience, his brokenness, his joy in having the burden and the weight and the guilt of his failings before you fall away. Oh, Father, may you, by your Spirit, teach us and guide us and show us what it means to live in freedom. As those who are not condemned, but those who have been given life, those who have an inheritance that we experience even now. Oh, Father, fill us to overflowing, we pray, with your grace this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.